You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. Decisions, decisions. Doesn't get easy for the Seahawks this offseason. It does get easy with the amount of draft capital and, and cap space that they have. Those are good problems to have. I think it's over $60 million in cap space they're going to have, which it's been a long time since they've had that kind of wiggle room in an offseason. Closer to 70 than 60, I believe. So, yeah. So who do they pay? Who do they choose to prioritize this offseason? Who are we going to prioritize? We want to hear from you on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. I think it's pretty obvious. Top priority is Debbie and Clowney. That kind of goes without saying. Yeah. Clowney... Uh, following the Packers game, he talked to the media and said he's not going to join a sorry team just to collect a big paycheck. I don't know what to look for. Dude. I just want to win. I'm trying to get in that Super Bowl by any means. So that's what I'm looking for. Who's going to get me that? I ain't looking to go get on no sorry team for no money. And that's the thing on flop. I ain't going to bite it through all of that just to lose you know, 16 games and go home with my check. I hate that. So that ain't what I'm doing. So if I can't win no Super Bowl, I ain't going to no team that can't win. So he doesn't want to go to a team that's not in contention. That's a good thing for Seahawks fans because I think the Seahawks are very much among teams that are in contention for Super Bowl. Right? That rare combination of in contention and have that cap space to pay him, as Taylor mentioned. Mm-hmm. The teams above Seattle in terms of cap space, probably not competing with them in the same competitive, going to the playoffs, possibly going to the Super Bowl, have Russell Wilson market. Yeah, I mean, you you look at the names, Dolphins, Bills, Bucks, Colts. Do those teams excite you? Cowboys. Those are, the, those are all the teams right above Seattle as far as cap we space already know, next knew year. how he felt about going to Miami the first time with the yeah. possibility of that. So. Right, and I would put Indy and the Bills and the Bucks in that same category. The Cowboys have a little bit more consistency, but they, their quarterback still hasn't been paid. They've got to sign Dak. And they, they've ran a... A 3-4 scheme for a while. I don't quite know what Mike McCarthy's going to do there. But does Clowney want to get paid as a 3-4 linebacker or a 4-3 defensive end? There's more money to be had as a 4-3 defensive end, probably a couple million more, at least in terms of what the franchise tag is going to be, and that's kind of a jumping-off point for what he wants annually, which is probably around $20 million or so, give yeah. or take a couple million more. Maybe there is going to be a team out there that breaks the bank for him. I, I would imagine there's going to be a team out there that says, what did the Seahawks offer you? We'll go above that no matter the price point. Um, but I think Clowney, to me, I think the chances of Seattle getting him back are better than what I think has been talked about. I think a lot of people hear that clip from Clowney, and it's like, oh, this is a guy who's got a foot out the door. But I think what he – he sounded very appreciative of his time in Seattle. We heard from Pete Carroll that he stopped on his way out the very last day to thank John Schneider for trading for him because I don't think he'd ever been in a situation like this where it was sort of like a Super Bowl mentality from the very get-go. You have Dwayne Brown, who came over from the Texans as well, calling him his brother. He has that connection here, one of the people that advocated for him to come here and was so excited. So it's not as if he's on an island. I know it can be rough to have to move places and cities but he has some connection and has built some since being here yeah and again just looking at the other teams with money to spend that would be going after people like him and are contending like he said i mean he's not going back to houston the titans are on here but 
maybe they'll make a play at him, maybe not. They got to pay Derrick Henry, and I think they also have to pay Ryan Tannehill. So those are two big contracts the Titans are going to sign. And then you have to go all the way down. You have Jets, Cardinals, Browns, Bengals, Lions, then the Patriots. And even the Patriots don't know what they're going to be next year. Will Tom Brady be there? He has a chance to hit the market now for the first time in his career. And And they have more questions on offense than they do on defense. So to me, looking around the other teams with money to spend, with the need, that are competing for championships – Seattle is the only one that makes sense if I'm Jadavian Clowney. So let's stay on the defensive line, and let's talk about Jaron Reed. Where do you prioritize? He is also now a free agent, and he's coming off last year, 10 and a half sacks. Not near as productive this year, and yes, missing the first six games of the season, but Pete also said he just never, he never got going. Never did, and I think because of that, I would be okay with bringing Reed back to a certain extent. If he wants more than about eight nine million dollars, then I'm gonna say no to that, Jaron Reed. Like you were good while you were here, but Seattle can get production, good production on the defensive line, especially the defensive tackle spot for that kind of price point, and, and maybe going elsewhere. Because if he gets a contract that's like twelve thirteen million dollars from another team, I don't think Seattle should spend a single second thinking about matching that because that. I mean, what Jaron Reed was able to do this year, I think, was more indicative of who he is on that defensive line. And, yeah, Danny Kelly of the Ringer made that point earlier this week, too, that Seattle's been good traditionally at bringing in veteran defensive interior linemen. So he would not prioritize that as one of those those main areas. But the pass rush, the, speed, the outside rush, yes. Yeah, I mean, you hit it right there, that if you were to pay him – that money that you were talking about there, that puts him in the category with Malik Jackson, Star Latulale, Sheldon Richardson. But right underneath that, in that 9 to $8 million, Curtis, what you said, around there, that's Mike Daniels, Malcolm Brown, Mebane. You know what I mean? Some names where you, when you look at it, you're like, okay, that that's a little bit easier to chew. To that's digest, an, yeah. an easier comparison to make between those players. That I don't think he is at the level, you know, the people at the top, Fletcher Cox, Jared, uh, Grady Jarrett, they make a lot because they do a lot. And it just feels like Reed is not there. So I, I would not be comfortable giving him that. Let's let's stay in the trenches and go to the offensive line because there's a couple of questions there. Pete Carroll said earlier this year that he would like to see, or after the game on Sunday, I think this was in his Monday press conference, that he'd like to see some continuity on the O-line. It is important. Yeah, I'm, I hope that, you know, I hope we can keep our guys in, in, Connected here, you know we got to. <clears throat> I don't want to see a big change there, you know, because we made good progress. We've really good young guys. <clears throat> the, the couple guys got banged up this year that you know you, you haven't seen a whole lot. Jordan Simmons and and uh, Knox, you know, uh, those guys coming back into the competition will really be good. Um, Jamarco did well, and uh, you know, yesterday to see Philip play like that too. That was that was really really helpful for us going forward. Um, so I think the whole group, it could be a really solid group coming back. And I'd like to see the guys that have, that have been playing for us stay with us. So that includes Jermaine Effetti. I don't know if it does, though. Because <laughs> he's a free agent, he's probably going to make... I mean, he's a starting right tackle in the NFL, which is, even though he's had his ups and downs in his career, he's he's turned his career into a productive one over the last couple of seasons with Mike Solari as the offensive line coach. Which right means, tackles don't go on trees. Exactly, and his price point's probably going to be maybe about $10, $10 $11 million. To me, 
just looking at his production, and I think the Seahawks can find a, a much cheaper option at right tackle. They don't need a, a pro bowler at that spot, and I think they need to go out and get somebody who's better at pass blocking, to be honest. I think I think that's where the Seahawks need to improve the most in 2020 is in their pass blocking. They can be good at running the ball and whatnot, but keep Russell Wilson upright. I thought they were actually decent in that this year, but also on the other side of that, if you believe sacks are a little bit, at least a little bit of quarterback stat, Russell keeping and holding on to the ball longer than his any of his peers. I can't remember his like his average second time that he holds onto the ball, but a couple a lot of those sacks sometimes coming on plays that he's just trying to extend and make that play and we've seen him take those those sacks before. So I actually thought they were better than a lot of people think in pass pro this year considering they were asking Jamarco Jones to hop in and George Fant to play swing and Joey Hunt's in there, poor little Joey Hunt, in, in under center <laughs> and doing a remarkable job. But, yes, can you afford to pay him? I think you might have to let him test free agency and see if he wants to get that max contract or is he willing to play for you at a slightly discounted price? I think he has more value outside of Seattle than he does in Seattle currently. Yes. That teams will value... The ability to sign a right tackle like Jermaine Effetti, shortcomings or not, they're willing to sign a player like that because they know what they get with him versus going to the draft, taking a risk, using one of those um, resources to try and and find someone at the right tackle where you sort of know what you have with Effetti. He's not great, he's not bad, but he will sort of get the job done well enough to that you don't have to go and risk a draft pick, and you can potentially try and add some depth elsewhere. Well, and I think the Seahawks not exercising his fifth-year option before the season, I think that really speaks to mm-hmm. what they think of him. Mm-hmm. They think he's good to have, but at the price point that that fifth-year option was going to be, they're like, mm, no, nah, not for us. And then again, maybe it was, you know, pr- prove it this year. And, and sh- he was at least out there on the field for every single snap. I think the only other Crazy. player aside from Russell Wilson, every offensive snap. Uh, George Fant also in the mix before we before we move on real quick on the offensive line. I think he's a good priority to have. Yeah. I think his ability to play on the offensive line and report as eligible as often as he does. <laughs> Number seventy four. It's it's a valuable. It's a unique piece that you can't really find elsewhere. I'm okay with bringing George Fant back in 2020. Definitely will cost you less than some of the other pieces. He's familiar with the system. Great depth. I think to me, that's a no-brainer. You try and bring him back as long as the price is okay. You don't have to break the bank to bring him back. I think you must bring a guy like that back because he will help bring that stability to this team and help them take that next step. Yeah, we've seen them value versatility on the offensive line. Maybe at times in the past too much, where like people were shifting around too much. But I think he, yeah, he is just an all-around great athlete. So, and he's also just a great personality. So selfishly, I want him back. And uh, he's got cute kids too. I yeah, mean, come is. on, come on, do it for the it? kids. George, yeah. George Junior, I think, is one of them. I don't know, but he's got oh, he's got cute kids. Uh, coming up though. It is going down in the Palouse this weekend. Woo-hoo! It's the place to be in the state of Washington. Not only do you have Nick Rolovich get introduced on Thursday, but today it is Clay Thompson making his valiant return to the Palouse, getting his jersey retired out at, at Beasley. So it's, Beasley Coliseum. It's going to be a fun one today. Uh, we'll talk the week that was for the Cougs as they've sort of 
controlled the story when it comes to college here in the state of Washington. That's coming up Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Who are you rooting for this weekend? That's coming up in about 15 minutes from now. Also, we'll get back into our one things for the Seahawks. We didn't get into the one game of the season that we would all pick and the one quote of the season that sort of defines this 2019 group of Seahawks. We'll get into all of that coming up in 15 minutes. Also, we need your shout-outs to the Coors Light text line, 710-710. Who are you shouting out this week? That's how we wrap up every single Seattle Sports Saturday. That's coming up at 11.45. But the Cougs right now, they are they're making their voices heard out east. And, I mean, they, they've had quite a week. Taylor, you being the Coug here. Reppin' Coug. Yep. I mean, you've yep. got your Derek Lowe jersey on. Flying Hawaiian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, had, he had the tattoo that went from his ankle all the way up to his shoulder. And he got it done in the ancient a Polynesian way, which wow. is basically like dipping a knife in ink and then just using a hammer to, to hammer it Woo. into your skin. So, uh, And that was Hard the last cool. time that the Cougs beat a top 10 ranked team was when Tremendous Jared transition. Yeah, there you go. Um, yes, and for those who didn't know, Cougs defeating number 8 Oregon this past week, um, despite being down several players as well. So really big accomplishment for the basketball team. Just heading into a big weekend, Clay Thompson returning to Pullman to get his jersey retired and what that means to the city of Pullman and just I was thinking about it on the drive over here and I knew we were gonna talk about this and athletes where the city and the town where they play takes a different approach to them. And Clay is one of those players where the people who are in Pullman at that time or around Pullman at the time, alumni you know, teachers, things like that. We all felt that we needed to protect Clay, that he was not only one of us, but he represented the best of us. And I think that made us all sort of approach him and treat him differently in the best possible way, that we knew what he could be and how special he was and and just what it would mean to the school that we don't have a lot of basketball history. We don't have a lot of world-famous athletes, you know, Drew Bledsoe, Steve Gleason. That's sort of the list of, of Pullman or Coug alumni. Gardner Minshew, obviously. Gardner, yeah, well, yeah. that's almost like a cult status. No, yeah. But, like, Craig Elo? Oh, He's man, not in don't there. Don't even bring yeah. that name up, Curtis. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can I actually play you this clip? This is a yeah. play talking on Pac-12 Network, talking about his time in Pullman. What do you think when you when you go back and you and you watch some of your clips from, from back in the day when you played at Washington State? What, yeah. what do you feel? Oh, I look so young. I didn't realize how young I looked. Um, I was skinny. I play very similar to the way I play now. I just remember having the number one on my jersey. I remember... The Great Alaska Shootout. I remember my first trip to Times Square. Just traveling the country as a Coug was so great. You're kind of overwhelmed with, nah, not overwhelmed, but you're kind of, you know, wide-eyed, especially those first, like, five, six games because it's such a dream, very nerve-setting. I was much more nervous in college than I'd get in the pros just because don't play as many games and uh, emotions are running high when you're a young kid. I love that. Yeah. I think the, the coolest thing about Clay Thompson is that he, 
I mean, and we don't cover the NBA as closely as they do in Oakland, so maybe they have a better feel in Clay. But it feels like he is somebody that has not developed an ego that we see a lot from athletes who have reached the kinds of peaks that he has gotten to. Three-time NBA champion, probably the second greatest shooter in NBA history behind his own teammate. Yeah. Like, and to hear that quote of him just being like, yeah, I remember the Great Alaska Shootout. I remember my first ever trip to Times Square. It's somebody that hasn't forgotten where he's come from, and that's really cool to to see. Yeah, and and again, one of the things about Pullman is it it is just Wazoo. That's it. That is the city, and it is the heart. It is the brain. It is the lifeblood of that entire city. So you get that feel with all of the you want that feel rather with all of your sports teams, just because that's what the city is all about. And Nick Rolovich introduced as the head coach of the football team this year when he was introduced talking about what an honor it was to be the Wazoo coach. And I totally got that feeling from him as well, hearing him talk about uh, coming to uh, the Palouse. I'm honored to coach at a place that has such a good history of great players. And I'm not going to mention any because I'm going to leave someone out and they might get mad at me. (laughs) But I want to tell you, it, it doesn't matter if you're, or an all-Pac-10 player back in the day, NFL pro bowler, or just a scout team player that gave everything you had for this this football program. You're always welcome back home. That's cool. Yeah, it just, and you asked Dave Wyman, you know, one of, an All-American at Stanford. Stanford's this great football school. He doesn't have that relationship with that school, and and that's sad. Honestly, that's sad when you think about that school not honoring its rich football history and the players that helped them achieve that. And hearing him say that all these players are welcome, whether you're a scout team, it just, it's such a different, it's a breath of fresh air. You did not get this type of thing with Mike Leach. You, it just was a different feeling. It was not the same and it wasn't as positive. It wasn't as hopeful it it wasn't as us, honestly, that, that the thing that makes people from Pullman kooks, and it just feels like this is us. I think being a head coach at Hawaii translates really well. There's a lot of similarities because in a certain way, you're kind of isolated in your environment. You can't necessarily freely go places easily, but that insular community, it creates the family you're talking about. Both places have certain recruiting challenges or limitations. But again, the people that you get that want to come there and be a part of your program are all the more dedicated and will work even harder for you. I think that translates really well to Pullman. Bruce Feldman of Fox Sports, he joined John Clayton earlier this week, and he did talk about that very same thing, Lydia, that because of his success in Hawaii, it sets up Rolovich very nicely when heading to Pullman. I think this was one of the best hires, actually, of this whole hiring cycle. To me, Nick Rolovich was like the ideal replacement for Leach from for Pat Chun, the AD there. Here's, here's what you're getting. So Hawaii is a really, really hard job. There's not a lot of resources, and there's very little money at Hawaii in terms of recruiting budgets and things like that. And Nick Rolovich got them winning a lot of games, and he, I think he did a remarkable job. Not easy to win at Hawaii because it's – what six hours away from the next closest state via airplane like that's not easy to recruit kids to that you know haven't been away from home before you can't easily yeah go for spring break or go for go home for the holidays it's and yes it's hawaii but you're also 
practicing all the time. You're indoors all the time. And Jess McIntyre, who I talked to earlier this week on The Blitz about this, said, because her sister attended Hawaii, you get kind of cabin fever. You Mm -hmm. can get kind of stir crazy. So someone who's really familiar with those challenges, I think it would be great for Pullman. Yeah, I'm just, and it's really funny that Rolovich's wife is from the islands, and this is her first time not living in Hawaii, so it's going to be a bit of a culture shock there (laughs) in the Rolovich home. But we look at the football programs around the country that are are successful, and where they were 10 years ago in the state of college football, the teams that were good, the USC's, the Texas, they aren't what they are now. And then on the flip side, you look at a school like Clemson 10 years ago, winning seven to nine games every year in a, in a conference that's sort of questioned about how good they are. You bring in a guy like Davo Sweeney, he injects that life and that culture into the system. And now look at them, 10 wins, 11 wins, 11 wins, 10 wins, 14, 14, 12, 15, 14. Like it, it just starts to flow when you get the pieces there that are right and they fit every in every way. And I think – I don't think Rolovich is a, as good of a coach as Dabo Sweeney, but that's the type of, if you're not chasing that, what are we doing? And certainly the Apple Cup this year is going to oh, be yeah. way more interesting. I loved oh, that yeah. in his press conference, Rolovich was asked, a reporter said two words, Apple Cup. He had three numbers for him, which was the date, the amount of days until the Apple Cup takes place. Two words, uh, Apple Cup. Three numbers, three one seven. That's the amount of days till we get to play it. <laughs> I think he knew he was going to be asked about that. Yeah. Or you're just really great at math. Either way, that's incredible because now you have Jimmy Lake, who has been outspoken about the Apple Cup and playing mm-hmm. against Mike Leach in the past. He's breathing new life and new energy into that program. And you've got Rolovich, who's clearly made it a priority. I think this year it's going to be one for the ages, at least in terms of unpredictability. You don't know. Yeah, the, the unknown of this upcoming college football season, I think, especially here in the state of Washington, is what's going to be oh. the most intriguing part about this is that no one knows how the Huskies or Cougs are going to respond to their head coaching changes. But, I mean, it's going to be – this, is this year is going to be so important for yeah. both these head coaches to establish their programs and to really, you know, get a head start on the other one. And for the first time in, what, eight years, both schools looking out into the distance and it's unknown. And I think that's, as sports fans, that's the most exciting thing that we can possibly encounter is not knowing what lies ahead of us. What are we going to encounter? And just real quick before we move on, Steve Gleason, again, receiving the Congressional Medal of Honor for his work in ALS. To just cap off what a week and Morgan Weaver getting drafted number two, a future Team USA soccer star. Um, Great week to be a Coug. Great time to be from the state of Washington and really excited to see what the next uh, football season brings here. We still got some Seahawks wrap up of their season to get to. Also, taking a look ahead at tomorrow's conference championship games. Who are we rooting for? What are our predictions for those? And we need your shout outs to the text line 710 710. That's all coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710, ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We gave you our one play and our one word to describe the 2019 Seahawks. We did that in the first hour of today's show. If you missed that, the podcast page at 710sports.com. 
That's your friend. We're your friends as well. And friends asking favors of each other, so we, we need your text in uh, your shout-outs into the Coors Light text line, 710-710 for 1145. What's the one game and the one quote that defines this Seahawks team in 2019? There's a lot of stuff we heard this season. There's so many games to pick from that left our hearts beating like crazy after the final whistle. It took you know an hour of cool down to really regain our composure and whatnot. When you look at the Seahawks and the games that they played this season, which one sticks out to you the very most? And, and Lydia, your candidate here today, I think is probably what a lot of people would pick as the one game that they're going to take away from this season that gives them, I think, the most hope for the future. Mm-hmm. And that's the Monday nighter against the 49ers. One for the ages, in my opinion. And oh, absolutely. Yeah, I my one word that I chose was unexpected. That kind of themed the rest of my answers to this as well. The they, one play I chose was Russell to Tyler Lockett in the end zone against the Rams at home that had like a 6.3 catch probability. It was absurd on both sides of the ball. You thought Russ was just maybe throwing it away and he made that catch, made the touchdown. So yeah, along those lines, I went with this as my one game that I think reflects the C- the Seahawks this year unexpected because there were times when yes the defense was bad but there were times when they carried the offense because the offense struggled and I think that goes to the expected nature of the team you just really can't count them out so many one score games and yeah let's just relive the the very final play of that game uh, and Jason Myers hero game by the way talk about unexpected at the forty five waits for the snap. Michael Dixon puts it down. That kick is away. And that kick is good! The Seahawks win! It's good! From 42, the Seahawks in overtime win for the second time in two weeks. And they beat the undefeated, now once defeated, San Francisco 49ers. What a game on Monday Night Football. The Seahawks win in overtime. And Jason Myers does it. What a game. Yeah, I just... That what a moment and yeah, handing them their first loss, it felt pretty good. Also, Dave Wyman noises. Hey. Uh, you know you're doing something right if you're getting Dave Wyman to make a noise mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, uh, yeah. <gasps> get in it. there. How about you guys? One game this year that you thought really stood out. I think for me, mine is both a great reason why <laughs> and a bad reason why, and I'm going with the first game of the season against the lowly Cincinnati Bengals struggling to defeat them, yet somehow finding a way to win in a game they probably should have lost to a team that's probably worse than them, yet they still overcame it. And, Curtis, I think that kind of plays into your word of the defiance and showing early on the defiance this team had. And they could have folded early first game. Who cares? You know, let it be. But I think that game really, if they drop that game, we're not having the same conversations week 15, 16, or 17 about this team being on the verge of a divisional title, a one seed, a bye, all of those things don't happen if you don't get off the the season on the right foot. And it feels like that was so important to how the rest of the season went. Dumb win, throwaway game, but it does feel like, in hindsight, was really important for this team. Well, and it- Pretty much told the story of what the season was going to be. Hundred percent, well, especially yes. for the Bengals for 
a oh. decent. Imagine if they had gotten a win first week. Oh, maybe yeah. AJ Green comes back. It would have changed the trajectory for them as well. Yeah, God. yeah, that game. When looking back on it, we all coming in that following Monday after that game, we we're like, oh well, it's classic Seahawks getting off to the slow start. It's like, no, this is what the team actually was. Like, I, I don't necessarily think that that was a slow start for them this year. It was just who they were the uh, entirety of the season. Yeah, now, just just a start. Yeah. We helped Joe Burrow go to Cincinnati, essentially. You're welcome. So yeah. you're welcome, so, Joe. <laughs> stop complaining, Cincinnati. Right. Send the thank you cards here. For me, I'm going to have to go with another classic game, and that was the Thursday nighter against the Rams. And I think that signaled – a changing of the guard a little bit in the NFC West where the Rams have been this team that the 49ers, Cardinals, and Seahawks have all been chasing over the last couple of seasons. The Rams were far and away the best team in the NFC a year ago. They make it all the way to the Super Bowl, and this year they take a giant step back. But we didn't know they were going to take that step back until probably this game against the Seahawks on Thursday night because they were 3-0 and to start the season, mm-hmm. the Rams were. They lose the game against Tampa Bay, so they're 3-1. and one. The Seahawks enter this game also at 3-1. and one. So a lot of jockeying for position in the NFC West race was going to come down to it. And then the Seahawks go back and forth with the Rams. They have a tremendous touchdown from Tyler Lockett earlier in the game. But it comes down to one final kick, Greg Zerline, Legatron, who is pretty automatic for most kickers in Greg the NFL. Delay. But uh, he came up. A little bit wide. Zerline, almost always money, gets this one away. It's up, and it's so good! (laughs) Greg Zerline misses it! It started as a small roar from the Hawks' nest, and eventually we all saw it. It was a miss, and the Seahawks are going to dodge a bullet and win this game with 11 seconds left. You have the Tedrick Thompson crazy interception in that one, too. T2 hero game. Unexpected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wyman noises. Yes. It's all Always good all around. Yep. But you're right. That changed their trajectory. That, that changed the Rams because then they went on to win, lose a third game for the first time in Sean McVay's career and sort of changed the course of their season. Now they came back and unfortunately uh, pretty much dominated the Seahawks in their second matchup. Mm-hmm. But to live the glory of that moment in prime time, by the way, when the world is watching, felt pretty good. No, with a game on TV and the Seahawks, once again, what's Pete Carroll, 28-7-1? With those in... lime green, too? Oh, yeah. Still undefeated that was in lime green. full lime green. Let's go. We had the half lime green against the Vikings. What's our one quote? What is the one quote that you think is the best one for this 2019 team? And we're not talking like, Shoot for the moon, and if you miss, you'll land amongst the stars. We're talking something that was said by someone with the Seahawks this year. Great quote, though. Definitely yeah. a great yeah. quote. It's one you see on most classrooms. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, I guess I'll start. I'll start with the fun one here. The start off the season. Lockett, Fluker, making fun of their quarterback and uh, having a little fun at his expense. ACL, we got a deal. Go Hawks. So... Just signifying the start of the Russell Wilson era completely here in Seattle. Lockett and Fluker having a little fun with it and, you know, the video, making fun of the video. Russell and Sierra posted at, what, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Yeah. Uh, Seattle waiting out for this deal to get done. The deadline was set, and it does get done, and that's how we start the year off. On the right foot, 
with uh, with Fluker and Lockett making fun of him, and then Russell being a good sport and having some thoughts about it as well. Oh, that was hilarious. We came in here to work the next morning, and uh, we were in the offensive meeting, uh, <laughs> and Coach Schottenheimer, he's going through you know all the all the plays and everything we're installing. He's like, I got one thing I want to show you guys real fast, and. Um, Sure enough, it's Tyler on the screen. I'm like, what's going on? And he's got three chains. And first of all, he's got Chris Carson's uh, necklace on. He's got uh, he's got Nico Thorpe's easy chain on. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. It, Never change, Russ. Think no. about where we would be right now if that contract had not gotten worked out. Because Russ would be an unrestricted free agent right now. Uh, and there's a chance that the Seahawks would have franchised him. But think of the madness that would have occurred with all that, it feels so good that that is not a part of this Seahawks offseason that we don't even have to worry about Russell Wilson. Lydia, what's your quote? My quote is, we played it earlier in the show, it's Pete Carroll being asked on the Monday after the divisional loss what his biggest regret about this season was and his response being injuries. Because while I agree with that was the most disappointing and perhaps devastating thing that happened to this to this team this season, I agree with that, that we might be talking about an NSU championship had they not been down to their fourth string running back and and been so hampered on the offensive line. But it also is indicative of the season to me, too, and the crowd that I still don't understand is the Fire Pete Carroll crowd because that seems absolutely ridiculous to me. But where he where his biggest flaws are, are, that's why it's so frustrating, are the things that seem fixable, are the in-game decisions, the clock management, uh, the offensive choices, the ability to make in-game adjustments when certain things aren't working. The, so to hear Pete say that his biggest regret was something outside of his control was, I think, uh, it, it just, it was kind of a, it just was noteworthy to me because I hope that that's not his thought going into the season. I hope he does some introspection and says, hey, no, this is my biggest regret. I can be better. I can change. Because it's always compete, right? That's, that's even as a coach, you have to always compete and get better. My quote of the year, calling an audible, it's not what a, the one I wrote down, but it is 51 seconds of glorious, glorious advice from one Marshawn Lynch. Young Sahibs know something. I say take care of y'all money, African, because that don't last forever. Now, I done been on the other side of a retirement, and it's good. When you get over there and you can do what the f*** you want to. So I tell y'all right now while y'all in it, take care of y'all bread. So when y'all done, you go ahead and take care of yourself. So while y'all at it right now, take care of y'all bodies. You know what I mean? Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mentals. Because, look, we ain't lasting that long. Uh, you know, I had a couple players that I played with that, you know what I mean? They no longer here no more. They no longer. So, I mean, you feel me? Start taking care of y'all mentals, y'all bodies, and y'all chicken. So when y'all, you know, ready to walk away, you walk away and you be able to do what you want to do. But I appreciate it. Thank y'all. I have a good day. Gotta love it. <laughs> it's wow. great advice, too. Legend. Someone who doesn't particularly like talking to the media, but... Using his platform. Using his platform, and, and he didn't have to do that. But I thought it was pretty cool. You saw clips of Mike Up and where he spoke to the rookies, where he was encouraging Travis Homer. I just thought that that's such a great side of Marshawn that we've heard from teammates and stuff in the past that he is a good person, cares about the people around him. I loved it. We need your shout-outs to the text line 710-710. 
wrapping things up here on Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Shout it out. We're giving our shout outs right here on Seattle Sports Saturday. That's how we do it every single Saturday. Got a lot already coming in on the text line, 710-710. That's where you want to go. We've got from the 253, shout out to Gonzaga. I mean, yeah, they're number one team in the country. Crushing it. They are running away with things in the West Coast Conference right now. 360, uh, the Rainbow and I shout out all the Australians dealing with the brush fires. Absolutely. That is no joke Mm -mm. going on down there. I know a lot of athletes, a lot of Australian athletes, like Ben Simmons uh, and Joe Ingles in the NBA. Those two guys, both born in Australia, they've uh, kind of taken up a lot of uh, fundraising efforts Advocacy, for yeah. yeah. So Lamelo Ball donating one of his paychecks to the yeah. to the fund and and helping cool. out there. So you're seeing you know all sorts of athletes and and people. Rich and poor getting involved, and whether it's a little or a lot, I think whatever you can give to help people who really need it, especially right now, I think it's a good time to give if you can. Yeah, and I think even the Australian Open could be impacted by that, which is going to be going, I think, next week is when it starts. So, yeah, it's very, uh, very serious down in Australia. We give we give them our best for sure, uh, hopefully that they'll be able to contain these wildfires. I think they did get some rain recently, so that's that's a that's good. That's real good. Also, shout out to just all the positivity. We get a lot of negativity in general, but loved when you guys take the time out of your day to say something positive. Really appreciate it. I don't know if it's you, Fred, but the the positivity <laughs> saying we sound great and uh, from Birch Bay, we appreciate it. Also, shout out to the 425 for saying I look like an intellectual Luigi today. Oh, because you're you all green. green. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's probably the best compliment I've ever gotten. Not nice. Not right? Bad. Not just a regular Luigi, an intellectual. Intellectual. One, because I'm also rocking my glasses. I'm in full Sonics gear, you know, like sweatshirt and, and backwards cap, but then I'm also an old person and wearing my glasses. Also, this implies that intellectually, Luigi is, isn't where he should be. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's, I, you know, I can't argue against it. He's I mean, also just kind of following along, Mario, like yeah. your own identity at Create a certain point. Create your own point. path, man. Just changing mm-hmm. the color of your outfit doesn't mean you're an individual. Good point. Branch out. <laughs> Who are we shouting out today? There are plenty of candidates to shout out. Taylor, you, you're all, it's been a huge week for your Cougs. Yes. I got to imagine that's where you're going. I'm going there. We'll start off in a great texter texted this in. Actually, multiple texters texted this in. Uh, You got to give a shout out to Michael and Julie Thompson, Clay Thompson's parents. Clay, Trace, and Michael Jr. All great athletes, great people, and uh, just the impact they've had on Wazoo and the Washington State community. We'll never be able to thank them for raising such a great human being who has been able to lead us and, and represent us in the best possible way. So I'm going to shout them out. And then I'm just going to shout out the city of Pullman. And I wrote down a little list of things here uh, from my time in Pullman, which was fantastic and, and helped me get here and shaped me. So I'll just to, to my brothers, love and respect. I lost my little brother this year. He passed away from cancer. So Charlie, shout out to Charlie. Shout out my little sis who married one of my best friends. Uh, over these past few years, I uh, want to shout out Maple Street Gardens, Treehouse, Red Carpet, Pink Door, Trips to Moscow, Bob's, Don's, Mike's, Wing Nights, Munchies, The Bookie, 
Dismores, Old European, Ferdinands, Nendels, Tokyo Soul, all the friends, all the family, all the people working to get better, and all the people there just to have a good time. Thank you for everything you you did for me and to the city of Pullman, to Washington State University. I'm forever grateful. That's Shout awesome. out. There you go. Yeah. Shout out. You can always go home. At least that's that's always good when you, there's that college town atmosphere you can go to or you can always look back fondly on it. I know I look back on Tucson that same way. So. Yeah. Shout out to Pullman. Shout out to uh, what they're doing there. I'm going to shout out uh, somebody that got a lot of heat this week. Uh, that'd be one Mike Fires, MLB pitcher. Uh, he got heat from. You stole mine. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> we can okay. we can do it jointly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Mike Fires, man, oh man, somebody needed to come forward and have the courage to put baseball back to where it was, and and it got out of hand, and, and so much of this sign stealing stuff. Just was uh, it's still hard to fathom like how extensive it got, and it took the courage of Mike Fires to come out and say, "Hey, this is not right because you are ruining the futures of a lot of players in baseball, guys who have the talent to stick around, but because they have rigged the game in their favor, it's not going their way." Uh, Mike Fires, him being the first person to really step out and say this is wrong and this is why it's wrong. Shout out to him. Yeah, um, knowing you, he's you got a feature in the MLB. Never get to work again. Yeah, that's like that's exceptionally brave. Knowing that you you might have everybody. I mean, you just seen some of the comments online on Twitter directed at him. People can't believe that you would quote turn on your team like this. Well, to that I would say that. MLB pitchers as a whole are a team. MLB players as a whole are a team. And this is for the betterment of the team of baseball, for the future of baseball, for this to come out. Because as we talked about earlier in the show, pitchers are taking those numbers, numbers that were you know, inflated, that didn't need to be inflated, that were obtained because of cheating, into arbitration. And their paychecks are affected. Their families are affected. It just has a ripple effect that you can't, we can't even see the full extent of those consequences. So I say as a teammate to the team, the greater team of baseball, and to us as fans who expect and want integrity of the game that we're watching, that he did a service and, uh, yeah, brave. It's never going to be comfortable to be a whistleblower or to be in that position. And I, I hope that I would be, like, brave enough in that situation, but I don't know that I would be, so... The hardest road, never the easiest. No, 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 no. no. uh, Shout out to Mike Fires for holding it down uh, for for the truth and holding it down for the betterment of the game because I I think baseball is going to be in a better place. The 30 for 30 on this is going to be wild. I I want it to come out right now, but we still need more information (laughs) to come out. That's going to do it for us here on this Saturday. Make sure you're checking out the podcast page, 710sports.com. You can find us there. But coming up, Clay Thompson, he's got his uniform retirement today. You can catch pregame at 1230 right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. This has been Seattle Sports Saturday.